I'm going to invite you to turn to a book that you've probably spent a lot of time in, the book of Leviticus, third book of the Bible. And we're going to read from um, Leviticus chapter 16. But before we do that, um, I just wanted to remind you that we are in a series where we've been preaching one, pat, one sermon from each book of the Bible. Um, we've been through Genesis and Exodus so far. We're in Leviticus. We're not surveying the book. We're taking a passage that we think is really important and showing how it points us to Christ. But before I read the passage, we're going to watch just a short video that gives you an overview of the whole book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus was written by Moses sometime between 1440 and 1400 B.C. while the Israelites were wandering in the desert. At first glance, it appears to be a dense collection of lists, rules, instructions, how-tos, and don't-dos. It is difficult for a modern reader to digest, but essential in seeing how an unholy people could face a holy God. After guiding the Israelites out of Egypt, God commands them to build a tent as his dwelling place among the people. Each fabric chosen and measurement was made purposeful. In the center is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant rests. The Ark was a box to remind the Israelites of God's promise to bless them. Even with the proper space built, there is still a problem. Humanity's sin stands in contrast to God's holy and just nature. As a result, it is dangerous for impure people to be near God's holy, powerful presence. In response, God establishes patterns of sacrifice to purify the people. Above all is the Day of Atonement. Once a year, the high priest sacrifices a goat and casts a second goat into the wilderness, a symbol of God graciously covering over and removing Israel's sin. It is this regular removal of sin that points to the coming solution to humanity's All right. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, we normally don't read this large amount of scripture, but I think it's really important for you to get the picture and as we try to tie all this together and how this relates to Jesus. But I want you to kind of just follow along if you have a Bible or follow along up on the screen, but try, also try to engage your imagination and your thought process so you can see what's really happening here in this, in this chapter, Okay. This is not an easy one in some ways. So here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. 
Then he'll take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, and it may be sent away, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord. But the cloud of the incense, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place. Because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins... So he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their unclean, and so shall he do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Verse 20. And when he has made an end of atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, and all the transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the, that afterwards he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their, sin, their skin and their flesh and, and their dung shall be burned up with the fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp.
And it, shall, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest to his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement be made for the people of Israel once a year because of all of their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord had commanded Moses. This passage is kind of a bloody mess, isn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in it. Now, if talking through blood and that kind of makes you a little bit squeamish, I will do my best not to dwell or overstate what's happening in Leviticus 16. You could really get into a lot of stuff here. I even thought about wearing my orange gloves that you can wear when you're uh, gutting a deer and show you what that kind of a mess that can look like. And Oh, we could go into all kinds of stuff like that. That's not where we want to go today, but we do want to see the seriousness of our sin. What Leviticus 16 reminds us of is that it helps us to get the full grasp on the seriousness of our sin and the seriousness of God's response. Our understanding of the atonement in the New Testament, without understanding the blood and the death and the mess and the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, I think kind of falls short. And once we see Leviticus 16 and see what that's all about, we'll see its connection to Jesus in the New Testament. But we're reminded, again, that sin is a serious thing. And that takes death and it takes the shedding of blood and all of this mess that we just read. And that was kind of a tame part. You could read some other passages with other kinds of sacrifices in the Old Testament. But it's all pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice. Now, let me just do a little review to kind of help you see why this is so important and why we picked this passage to be the passage from Leviticus that we wanted to focus on and talk about. Let's start with Genesis. Back in Genesis, we looked at verse, chapters 12 and 15, and we looked at the covenant, and we looked at this promise that God made to Abraham, and God made a promise to Abraham saying that he would make them into a great people, and the whole world would be blessed by his offspring. So that's the first message that we looked at, the promise, the covenant that God made with Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through his offspring. And then we get to Exodus, and what we did in Exodus, we, looked, we saw that Abraham's descendants had indeed become a great nation. And so by Exodus 20, they were given the blueprint of how they were to relate to God and how they were to relate to one another. And these Ten Commandments were, were giving them the way to live and, and the way that they were supposed to worship and relate to God, and this was the way that they were going to bless the nations. Remember, the, the promise was that they were going to bless the nations, how were they to do that? Well, first, like I said, they were, they were going to become a great people. And then when the Ten Commandments came and the law was given, there was a great blueprint that, hey, we talked about this last week, that if we're not going to steal from one another, that's good for one another, right? If we don't murder each other, that's a good thing. If we're faithful to our spouses, all of those things were God-designed for us to flourish and for us to, to, to be a blessing to those around us. 
And so the Ten Commandments isn't a, a list of things that we're not supposed to do. It was giving us what we were supposed to do. Don't do this, but do this, because this is how you'll bless the nations, if you relate to me rightly and relate to one another rightly. My hope today is that we look at, as we look at Leviticus, we're going to see the picture or the foreshadowing of the greatest blessing, the greatest blessing that was going to be given to all the people through the people of Israel, that the descendant of Abraham was going to come into the world and he was going to atone for the sins of the world. I can't give you better news than that today than that there was one who came and made atonement for our sins. And I hope that we'll be challenged and encouraged and motivated to think about how we're to bless the world with that message. That we're to bless the world with the great news that our sins can be atoned for through the work of Jesus. But all of that picture starts here in Leviticus 16. So that's why we're going to unpack this a little bit. And, and I'm going to show you some things in Leviticus 16. And then at the end, tie them in with Christ and help you see how Christ fits into all this. So we're not going to make that connection as we go through it. But as we come to the end, we'll pull that all together. Okay? So here we are, uh, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And one of the first things that happens, if you look back to Leviticus chapter 10, is Aaron's two sons die because they go into God's presence in the wrong way. A holy, perfect God can't be approached in just any old way. And they did that, and they lost their lives because of it. They died. So he tells them, in, in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, and when they drew near before the Lord and died. And so we're supposed to look back and see that in chapter 10 and go, whoa, this is the holy God. You can't just come barging into his presence any way you want to. You can't approach him in any fashion that you just think you want to approach him. So they approached him flippantly and without regard to his commands. And because of this, God's presence uh, um, was overwhelming and they died. And so, because God's presence will be over the mercy seat, he says, my presence will be there. He says, now this is how you're supposed to enter. And so he tells Aaron, this is how you're supposed to do it. Because when you come into this place, and you're the only one that's supposed to come into it as the high priest, it is where my holiness is, it's where my presence is, and you can't see my glory and live. And that's what happened to Aaron's sons. And so that is what's going to happen if you come in your own way. Let me tell you how you're supposed to do it. And so he tells them how he's supposed to enter and come to the mercy seat in this holy place where God's presence is going to be. And he said, my presence will be a cloud over the mercy seat. And so Aaron's instructed. Now here's what it says in verse 3. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place. How is he supposed to do it? Well, first thing he's supposed to do is, and if, if we had a picture um, of his royal, kind of royal high priestly dress, it would look very different than what he's called to put on here. Um, as the high priest, he had a certain kind of dress that made him look more like royalty. And in this place, at this time, he's supposed to dress in a very common way. He's supposed to put on a linen coat and a linen undergarment, and he's supposed to tie himself with a linen sash. It's very unremarkable and very humble is how he's supposed to dress as he comes into this. And he's supposed to purify himself by bathing with water. And so you see a lot of ritual and a lot of kind of ceremony to get himself prepared for this. And then he must have a burnt offering, some sort of sacrifice that will get him prepared to be able to enter into this holy place. And there we see the beginning of it. The death and shedding of blood has to occur for him to enter. And that's going to be an important thing as we look at this in the New Testament. 
that there is death that has to occur and a shedding of blood that has to occur in order to atone for sin, in order to cover the sin. And so he has to do all of this in order to enter into this holy place. And then we jump to verses 5 through 13, and I'm going to, I think it's verses 11 that are up on the screen. We're only going to be able to survey parts of this. And so this is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to present a bull as a sin offering for himself. Now, this is really important because Aaron himself, even though he's the high priest, is a sinner. He has sin in his life, and he has to address that before he can go into the presence of a holy God. And how God says he's supposed to do that is he's supposed to offer the sacrifice of a bull. And so he makes his sacrifice. And now we're going to see this word over and over again in this, in this passage, and he's going to make atonement for himself. So we probably should stop and take a moment and ask ourselves, what does the word atonement mean? So there's lots of different variations of how we could say this, but here, here's what I'm going to do, that, um, what I'm going to use, and as we talk about atonement, this is what I'd like you to think about. Atonement is simply a way to come back into a harmonious relationship with God. A way to come back into a right relationship. Some people like to use at-one-ment, atonement, at-one-ment, bringing back into unity. Sin breaks the unity that we have with God. God as our creator who loves us, created us in his image. Adam and Eve sin, so sin comes into the world, and we sin, and we have a sinful nature, and we sin, and this breaks our union with God. And because of that, God is making a way for us to come back into right union. We can't figure out how to do that. We can't do that on our own. God is the one who does that and says, this is what you need to do to come back into at-one-ment with me. This is what atonement is, bringing us back into a harmonious relationship. And so before Aaron can do this for everybody else, he's got to do it for himself, bring himself back into a harmonious relationship with God. And just because he's a high priest doesn't mean he has that, because he has sin, and that's broken that union with God. So that's an important thing as we're moving forward here, that you keep that in mind, that atonement is simply about bringing us back into our harmonious relationship with God, bringing us back into right union with him. And then it goes on in verses 14 through 19, and tells us some of the things that he's supposed to do. And he's supposed to, as he enters into this most holy place, he takes the shed blood of the goat of the sin offering. Now there are two goats, and there's the one goat is the goat of the sin offering, and here we get into this bloody mess again. He's got to sacrifice that goat, he's got to kill that goat, and he's going to take that goat's blood and use it to help bring about this atonement. So he's going to take the shed blood of the goat of the sin offering. And because of his sin and the sin of the people, even the holy place, this is what um, the author is trying to tell us, that even the holy place, because it's in the midst of unclean people, it has to be atoned for. So even this holy place in the tabernacle, where God's presence is going to be, it has to be atoned for because it simply is in the midst of sinful people. So even the place has to be taken care of. And so he's got to make an atonement atoning sacrifice for the place. So because it's in the midst of an unclean people, reminding us again of the seriousness of sin. So he cleanses the holy place, he cleanses the mercy seat, and then he makes atonement for the people of Israel for all of their sins. Now if you've lost me up to this point, would you come back? Because this is the beautiful piece of this. God is making atonement for all of their sins. 
So again, death and blood should, are supposed to remind them of the great seriousness of their sin. In fact, the word in verse 16 for transgression is one of the most grievous words for sin in all of the Old Testament. The, the term refers to sin in its grossest manifestations. The, the most deep and dark and vile of sins. But here's the beauty of it. That word covers that, but the word atonement is to make right with God despite that. Do, do you see how beautiful this is? Despite the most vile and dark and whatever you want to put in there, God is making a way for people to come back and to be in a right relationship with him. But this whole day of atonement, this whole thing in Leviticus 16, is supposed to remind them of the seriousness of their offense because it's against a holy God. And there's a lot of death and blood and stuff that goes on around it that kind of makes us cringe a little bit. But what happens now in verses 20 to 22 One goat has died for the uncleanness and for their sin. He has sacrificed this goat. He has sprinkled their blood. So one goat has died because of their sin. The second goat, the second goat demonstrates their need for confession. Now, think about this. Let's let's, just try to use your imagination. Think if we were doing this today. If we were doing this today, I'd be up here and I would have this goat and we had just sacrificed one goat. Now I would have this live goat and I would be confessing over this goat. This put, I'll put myself as that person. One of you could be up here as the high priest, right? Just say I'm doing it as the pastor. I'm confessing all of your sins over this goat. Everything that I think I've done, that you've done, and I'm confessing it out loud, and you're sitting there, because this was done publicly, you're sitting there hearing it all. And, and one of the commentators, I think, put it very well. He said, while the priest is up there confessing, all of a sudden you hear your sin. And you might be going like, oh, yeah, that's me. And you might be thinking, I think I'm doing pretty good. And all of a sudden you hear your sin. And maybe five heads bow because five heads go, oh, yeah, that was me. And he's verbally confessing out loud the sins of the people. I'm not sure how long this took, <laughs> But I'm thinking it took a while, because this is all of the people of Israel, and he's confessing all the sins that come to his mind that the people have committed. One of the things that we see in Leviticus, though, is the beauty of confession, to be able to say out, here's my sin. And then what happens is, after he confesses all of those sins, symbolically, those sins have been placed on that goat, And that goat is going to be sent out into the wilderness. So the confession emphasizes the sins of the people and then their need for removal of their sin. And the live goat is the symbol of God's desire to remove their sin. God's desire has always been, from the very beginning, to make his people right with him, to bring them back into right relationship. And so that's what he's saying to Abraham back in Genesis I'm going to bless the whole world through you, and I'm going to make a way for the whole world to come back into right relationship with with me. And Leviticus 16, even though it seems a little different than what we're used to, is giving us this picture of how God's going to do that, and that there's shedding of blood, and that there's death, and there's this goat that's been sacrificed, but now there's this goat. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness 
by the hand of the man who is in readiness. And there's a man standing there who's also been purified, and he's ready to take that goat out into the wilderness. And this is to be a symbol of what God will do with sin, that he's going to take it away. And he's going to take it out into the wilderness, and that goat's going to be let loose in the wilderness so it can never find its way back into the camp. And it's a symbol of, okay, death has occurred, atonement has been made, from the death of this goat, and now atonement is being made to the live goat where your sin is being placed on it and it's being taken away. And it's this beautiful picture of what God desires to do with our sin. And then it becomes the question of what do we want to do with our sin? But God's desire is to take it away and to send it off into the wilderness. And then verses 23 through 28, Aaron's going to come back into the tent and he's going to cleanse himself And then he's going to put on his normal priestly garment. So he's going to take off this humble, simple linen garment. Now he's going to put back on his royal priestly garments. And he's going to go back in and he's going to do some purification rites to to kind of be able to come back out and, and dress himself normally again. And then it says in verse 29 through 34, what they're going to do is that this is to be an ongoing event. This is something that's supposed to happen year after year. Why? Because it's supposed to remind them that they have sin that needs to be atoned for, and then they're supposed to be reminded that there's a way for their sin to be atoned for. Now, that's really crucial. Before we now turn to look at the New Testament, it's simply this, that God is reminding them that they do have sin, and that sin separates them from a holy God. And that would be horrible news unless God came up a way to fix that. And in this passage, God is showing them the way, and he's foreshadowing a way that's going to come in their future. But right here, what's happening, before a holy God, a goat dies, and another goat is confessed over and sin is taken away. But you have to have both. You can't just pray over one goat and send sin away. The other goat has to die, and shedding of blood has to happen because it reminds them of the seriousness of what sin does and why it needs to be addressed the way that he addresses it. So now we get this picture, okay? So remember Genesis 12 to 15, going to make you into a great nation. Exodus 20, this is how you're going to bless the world by, here's the blueprint, relating to me right, relating to God in the right way, relating to one another in the right way. But the problem is, by the time we get to Leviticus 16, we see that they have trouble doing both. They still rebel against God. They still hurt one another. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to provide now another way. And this way is a foreshadowing of something that's to come. And that thing that is to come is the way that you're going to bless the entire world. And now here we are today, sitting here 2,000 years later, well, more than that, 30-some hundred years later, 3,500 years later, and here we are being able to talk about the atoning work of Christ and what that's done for us and what our message should be to the world around us. So what I want to do with the last part of this message is try to connect that now and show you how these things are happening in the New Testament and how they're connected to Christ. So we just don't read Leviticus 16 and say, wow, That's a weird passage about all kinds of sin and all kinds of sacrifices and all kinds of blood. I want you to see how it's connected to Jesus. Because what we're arguing in this whole series is that all of the Bible is pointing us to Jesus. Here's the first thing. How does all this connect us to Jesus? 
The first one is we can't approach God in any way we want. Remember at the very beginning, Aaron's sons went blasting into the Holy of Holies and they died. And God says to Aaron, hey, this is how you have to come into my presence. Well, let's jump forward to the New Testament. In John 14, 6, this is what Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, there's a connection back to Leviticus 16. There is a way to the Father, but there's only one way. And we can't just come to the Father any way we want. We come to the Father through the way that he says we can get to him. And why this is serious and why this is important is because there's a lot of people in the world today that will say there's all kinds of ways to God. And if that's true, then great. But if it's not true, then we've got a problem. And Jesus says the only way to get to the Father is through him. That means that if we want to help people get right with God and to know God, we have to point them to Jesus. And the only reason I want to do that is because I believe it to be true. I believe these words to be true, and Jesus says, I'm the only way. And so it would be extremely cruel and extremely wrong of me to say to people, there's all kinds of ways, if there's only one way. And the loving thing to do would be to help people find the way. Do you see what I'm saying? And sometimes it seems like, wow, why are we being narrow and saying there's only one way? Because if it's the truth, why would I want to give somebody something other than the truth? And in this situation, it's serious because eternity rests on it. So we can't approach God any way we want. Jesus says you approach God through me. And guess what? You're welcome to come and approach him through me. Do you see the other side of it, the good news of it? There is a way. Not, I wish there were more ways, but there is a way. And here it is. And he says, I'm the way. Come to me and I'll show you how to get to the Father, Jesus says. So that's the first one. We can't approach God any way we want. A second thing that we can see from Leviticus and putting it into the New Testament. Aaron first has to make a sacrifice of atonement for his own sins. Remember that part? He has to do it first for himself because he's a sinner. Not so for Jesus. This is what Hebrews 7, uh, 26 to 28 says. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sins, and exalted above the heavens. This is all referring to Jesus. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He had no need to have to keep doing that like the high priest had to do it. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So as Aaron had to continue to make sacrifices and the high priest had to do them for themselves, Jesus doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to make sacrifice for himself because he lived it out perfectly. The third thing is only the high priest could could mediate or make the sacrifice of atonement. Only the one high priest could do it. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There was one high priest who could do it. Now there is one high priest, the high priest, who is the one who is doing it, who gives himself as a ransom, that he's also the one that gives up himself. There's one God, one mediator, the man Jesus Christ. There is one priest now that mediates for us. 
Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, came in the flesh, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now we have a high priest who is a perfect high priest who knows what it's like to be us because he lived in the flesh, but he's merciful and faithful and he serves God and he makes propitiation for the sins of the people and there is one high priest who still stands in the gap for us and that's Jesus. And then we've got the sacrificial goat, the sacrificial goat of Leviticus 16. Listen to Isaiah 53, 7. Again, referring to Jesus, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. He's that picture of the goat that's being sacrificed. And he was afflicted and he didn't open his mouth and he was more like a lamb that was just led away and he died. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might, have, might become the righteousness of God. This goat from Leviticus 16 that has to be sacrificed, now we have one who became sin in our place who knew no sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Through him dying on the cross and our sin being placed on him, just like our sin was placed on the goat that was sacrificed and the goat that was sent out, Jesus was that sacrifice that bore our sin. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's the picture again of the Old Testament goat that was killed. Jesus is the sacrifice. But now Jesus is also the scapegoat. The goat that was sent to Azazel was called the scapegoat. And the sins are placed on the scapegoat. And even in David's time, in the Psalms, he understood that God could do this. This is what he says in Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And I got really good news for you today. If you're struggling with some sin in your life, if there's been something that's going on that you've confessed and you wonder if God can really cleanse that and deal with that, he tells us right here he will and he'll take it as far as the east is from the west. That's what the scapegoat was supposed to look like. Take it out into the wilderness and it was supposed to wander away, never to be seen again. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 53, 6, again referring to Jesus, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The scapegoat, the Lord has laid our sin, our iniquity on the scapegoat and sent the scapegoat out into the wilderness. And then he cleanses us, just like they're cleansing in the temple and doing all in the sacrifices of the tabernacle, on Leviticus 16, they were doing all these cleansings. This is what 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you probably heard me share this analogy before, but one of my least favorite things to do at my house is after spaghetti, and I had four kids in my house, right? So you'd hope that the spaghetti plates would get rinsed off in the sink, but spaghetti plates don't get rinsed off in the sink. They get stacked up on the sink, Right? And then what happens to the spaghetti sauce? It dries, and it's hard to get off. And I take the scratch pad, and I scrape, and I scratch, and I 
cleanse it, and all of a sudden the plate is clean. That may not work for you, but that's a picture that helps me a lot as I think of 1 John 1, 9. That that is cleansed and cleaned, and now that plate gets put in the cupboard and can be used, and it's not considered to be dirty anymore, not considered to have germs, it's been cleansed and it can be used. Jesus comes now, just like all those cleansing that was done in the, in the tabernacle, Jesus now comes to your heart and my heart, and he cleanses us, and he scrapes off all of that stuff, but he does it with his blood, the blood of a righteous lamb. He does it with his blood, because his blood is the blood that can cleanse us. And then every year, the high priest had to make sacrifice of atonement, but not Jesus. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, again referring to Leviticus 16, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves like we saw in Leviticus 16, but by means of his own blood, thus securing our eternal redemption. This isn't a partway thing. This isn't something that you have to come back again next year like they did in Leviticus 16. This isn't like the Day of Atonement, like, oh, I've got to do this again because, no, he has entered it once and he has secured it for an eternity, an eternal redemption. And that's why I always say I'm, such, I'm a preacher of good news because all of this is great news if you want to hear it. This great news that Jesus is doing all of this for you and me, not by the blood of goats and calves anymore, but by his own blood, by his own sacrifice, and it's secured us an eternal redemption for all of eternity. I stand before for you as one who's in the midst of my eternity. I'm just on this side of the heaven, but one day I'll be there too and, and for all of eternity. So we're in the midst of eternity right now, and he has secured that, and I'm secure because of the blood of Jesus and the blood that he has shed. I just love it how Matthew Henry in his commentary said it. He said it like this. Then Aaron must not come near at all time, lest he die. We now must come near at all times that we may live. Isn't that great? Aaron couldn't come near at all times, or he was going to die. But now we must come near at all times so that we can live. And there is a high priest that says, come on in to the Holy of Holies. Come on in, because I'm here interceding for you. Come on in, because you've been atoned for. You've been reconciled to God by the shed blood of Jesus. Isn't that great news? You've been atoned for. Put your name in it. You can be reconciled with God if you want to be, all because of the shed blood of Jesus. Now, what do we do with this? What, what do I hope that you take home from this? First, I hope that you come to, to Jesus for atonement for your sins. Maybe you have never done that. And I, I just want to invite you today. This is awesome news. God will atone for your sins. You don't have to. And I, I want to invite you to receive forgiveness and to receive cleansing and to have your sins taken away as far as the east and from the west, every last one of them. I just invite you to that today. Come to Jesus for atonement for your sins. 
If you've never done that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, or somebody that you're with today could talk to you about it, but I just invite you to that. If you've already done that and you've received the atonement for your sins, then worship him with great awe and thankfulness. I just invite you today and this week to spend some time going, wow, the awesomeness of this should cause me to be thankful because my sins have been atoned for through the blood of Jesus and I don't have to do anything but have faith. I'm going to invite you to read Hebrews 9 and 10 today or tomorrow. And I just invite you to read it and see how it's so connected. You're going to read it and go, hey, am I reading Leviticus 16? It's just so connected and it shows us the fulfillment of Leviticus 16 in Hebrews 9 and 10. And then I want to remind you, and this is very important, and if you've been a, a regular here at Chester Park, and if you're visiting from somewhere else, I think this applies for your church as well. Our primary purpose as a church is to be a blessing to the nations by making disciples of Jesus. That's our primary purpose, and it all starts with us sharing the message of atonement. It all starts with us being passionate about that there's a substitute on our behalf, and we can be made right at one with God, and we need to share that. And how Chester Park and how Rock Hill will grow and has grown over the years is people being passionate about sharing that. So our primary purpose is to bless the nations, remember Genesis 12 and 15, by making disciples, and all that starts with this message of atonement. And so I just want to challenge you and call you to that this week and thinking about the physical community of Rock Hill, Chester Park area and the surrounding neighborhoods. But then think about the community that you live in. And then think about the circles of influence, the, the people that God has put in your path. Those are the places we want to do this work. Chester Park, surrounding communities, the community you live in, and the people that you know. And that we want to be bringing this message of atonement through Jesus. You see, we've been set apart to bless the nations with the unbelievable message that our sins can be atoned for simply through faith in the atoning work of Jesus on our behalf. That a righteous blood was shed on our behalf. And that's what we're called to do, to share that good news. That's why we've been set apart, to bless the nations with this unbelievable message. And it's an awesome message. And when people respond, if you get a chance to lead somebody to this place where they can have their sins atoned for by Jesus, it's an awesome opportunity. It's an awesome privilege. So I just want to invite you to consider all of that this week and look back at Leviticus 16 and go, whoa, what a picture of what Jesus did for us and what he's done on our behalf. I'm going to invite you to take a moment where you just bow your heads and listen to what the Lord is saying to you and then we're going to have a, a time of response. So just bow your heads and see if the Holy Spirit of the living God is speaking to you in some way this morning. Let's pray together.